days after Hurricane Ida slammed into Louisiana's coastline near Port for short function as a category four hurricane, the true scope of Ida's destruction was just starting to be revealed. At least six deaths have been attributed to the storm across the South, including two killed Monday near Loosedale, Mississippi. Two million Louisians remained without power for a fourth day Wednesday as the impact of Hurricane Ida's devastating romp through the Southwest grew more dire and oppressive heat continued. Though no longer a hurricane, much of the Northeast was bracing for Ida's wrath. The potential for life-threatening and damaging flooding reached into New England. At least 72 million people along a 1,200-mile stretch of the United States were under a flash flood watch Wednesday. Grateful that Monica Hardin has joined us to update us on the situation in Louisiana right now in the wake of the devastation of Hurricane Ida. Monique Hardin is the Assistant Director of Law and Policy and the Community Engagement Program Manager at the Deep South Center for Environmental Justice. The center provides research, education, community and student engagement support, as well as worker training in environmental careers. Ms. Hardin has more than 20 years of achievement as an attorney working on behalf of predominantly African-American communities to win significant environmental justice victories in the Gulf Coast region. She's the former co-director of Advocates for Environmental Human Rights. Welcome, Monica. Oh, thank you. Thank you for having me on my show. It's Monique. Oh, Monique, sorry, thank you. It's okay, it's okay. We've all seen the damages in the videos and heard about the 150 mile an hour wind, a hurricane with more strength than Hurricane Katrina. What can you tell us about the impact that you're seeing on the ground with the people of Louisiana right now? Well, I mean, the situation is, dire we people who are are stranded in their homes uh emergent wait you know in need of emergency response rescue evacuation um people who have been able to uh you know uh, get rescue have talked about not eating for the last several days since the uh, hurricane ida passed which is just you know, devastating. Um, and so what this means right now is how can we get help to people across Louisiana and into Mississippi uh, and parts of Alabama who've been harmed by this hurricane? And where I live in New Orleans, much of the problems that we're seeing right now are not directly related to the hurricane, but related to the the domination of one utility company in the state over energy planning and policy that has left us without electric power. Um, and that is just feeding a humanitarian crisis in, in, in our city and in surrounding parishes. And so speaking specifically of the humanitarian crisis, and I want to go back to the power company, we know that during the time of Hurricane Katrina, one of the issues that came up was the response of the federal government, the response of the nonprofits of the 
nonprofit industrial complex, comparing that to the, res- the response of, you know, regular folks trying to help um, each other out. What do you see happening with respect to the governmental response, for example, right now on the ground there in Louisiana? Um, the governmental response right now has been focusing on trying to get help to people and focusing on hospitals as well. As you know, just you, we're in a, um, an area of the country where we have you know, increased um, COVID hospitalizations and deaths, and our hospitals are you know, at the edge in terms of their capacities. And now you pull out electricity from that, it's a dire, dire situation in terms of life and death for the patients. Uh, and, and this, you know, Children's Hospital, hospitals across the, the region serving, and, uh, and that need, of course, for hospital and medical care has heightened as a result of the hurricane and the electric power outage. Um, so the, the governmental response um, has been really, you know, kind of pushing in those directions, but it's going to be limited because of the lack of electricity that could uh, be used. That's definitely needed at hospitals and for emergency response. It's also needed for um, providing um, treated water, you know, potable water through the taps. It's also needed uh, in homes to keep the lights on. People can chill their medicines, be comfortable in the summer heat, um, and, and, you know, have uh, food to eat. So this, this electrical outage that's affecting New Orleans and surrounding parishes is, a, you know, really needs to be the attention of federal governmental response, even in the area uh, are on, the, on the subject of what caused the electrical outage. Um, right now, the company Entergy is uh, reporting that it's assessing what caused this transmission tower to collapse into the Mississippi River um, late into the evening uh, when the winds of Hurricane Ida were in the under 60 miles per hour with gusts of about 80, uh, which should have been withstood by a transmission system, uh, according to the to the company. So why it actually fell and collapsed, we don't know, but we don't trust the company to give us the the facts of any assessment. And we really want the U.S. Department of Energy and FEMA to be a part of that assessment, as well as the work looking ahead of how do we rebuild uh, the Gulf Coast region in a way where solar energy and those options around energy efficiency can be really made available to the people and uh, who call this uh, this region home. Um, the, the same company that is responsible for the transmission tower that collapsed into the Mississippi River, that's Entergy, is also the same company that has waged war on energy efficiency projects and home weatherization programs and solar options like neighborhood grids, rooftop panels, uh, battery storage across the state, and, and instead have been continuing to push more and more gas plants that we see aren't working uh, in this time of disaster. So we've been paying for a lot of this kind of um, uh, you know, um, poor, uh, reckless energy planning, and now people's lives are put at stake because of it. And you know, when you when you're saying all of that, it's reminding me of what happened in Texas when they had the freeze. And I think that we don't talk enough about 
the impact of these electric companies on the lives of people, and particularly when we're looking at these types of devastations. You talked about the gas plants, and I think that it's important for folks to know a little bit about the areas that are being most hit by Hurricane Ida and other hurricanes that come through. We know there's an area that's come to be known as Cancer Alley because it contains several industrial plants and is home to clusters of cancer patients. Um, there's other industrial plants also along this 85-mile cancer alley that has been connected to countless health problems in the surrounding communities, with companies continuing to develop new facilities there. And so I think before we talk about the people's response and what people are doing to help each other, I think it would be good to hear from you some of that connection between what we see happening with these hurricanes, the type of devastation that we're seeing, and straight environmental racism. Sure. Well, we um, what we know about Cancer Alley is that um, uh, long before there were ever any environmental laws, uh, there were racist, uh, you know, racism uh, really controlled uh, the where these plants were built. So, and that was codified in zoning and land use decisions uh, to place these oil and gas uh, uh, and chemical manufacturing facilities in in black communities. And as a result, we have lost on record six historic black communities that were built, some before the Civil War, some right after the Civil War, because of the contamination and toxic exposures and pollution brought by uh, this heavy industry. And we're talking about companies like Exxon, companies like Dow, uh, and, and, you know, hundreds of others that are part of this uh, toxic mix of pollution uh, in the uh, Mississippi River uh, region called Cancer Alley in Louisiana. Um, these plants are, and, and the communities that still exist are were in the path of, of Hurricane Ida. And so there has yet to be any reporting on the uh, any impact of the the storm winds on these facilities, uh, uh, or even if there are uh, uh, impacts from electrical outages. But what we do know is that for a lot of the African American uh, communities, predominantly African American communities, roofs were were torn off during the wind. So what's the condition of the industrial facility that's right next door to those communities? Is is has been wow hasn't been reported on um and so we're looking you know at that very as closely as we can the the thing that that makes the um understanding what the impact of the hurricane has been on the industries what gets in the way of that is a federal law called the clean air act and the clean air act allows these facilities to uh, be constructed and to expand without any concern about the health impacts on surrounding communities. The only thing that these companies need to get a permit is, is an application that basically says they will do what other companies in their industrial sectors do. And if they can do that and put that on paper, they get a permit. And the real-life consequences of that permit in terms of the pollution and the hazards and the accidents that come from that are of no moment to this law, including hurricanes. So there are risk management plans these companies have to do pursuant to the law. But guess what? Hurricanes and how to prepare for that and what to do to uh, avoid or at least 
uh, mitigate against uh, harmful consequences, it's not required. And so reporting back on what happened from the risk management plans, the effectiveness of it, it just does not happen. And so you're, you're putting, you're making communities targets under this law in terms of just the day-to-day -day pollution that happens, you know, uh, and, and, you know, within years that can be millions of pounds of various toxic chemicals people's are, people are exposed to. Then you hammer home the climate impacts of flooding or heavy winds from hurricanes or storm surge or just a major rainfall event. And there's, again, the, the community is, has no protection under this law uh, against that. So that's, wow. that's a, a problem I think, you know, I would, you, I would, we're going to be keeping our eye on, and I think everyone should, is what happened? What, you know, what was the impact of Hurricane Ida on some 600 chemical uh, manufacturing and storage sites uh, along Kansas Louisiana, and and what are the impacts on all of the communities? Because we do see and have talked to people who live in St. James Parish and St. John Parish who are, you know, their homes, their buildings are damaged significantly so that they can't even live in it, and they're finding places to live uh, with friends and family. So if that's the condition of their homes, what is the condition of these facilities that some of which date back and are as old as, you know, 60 or so years? Right, right. And I'm thinking about during hurricanes, how you have those whipping winds, how you have all of that water, how that's spreading all of these chemicals um, and all of these toxins in the air uh, and, and leaving them, depositing them even further than this area that we're talking about. And so, Monique, you described that these areas are areas that were, are not getting media attention. We're not really getting our eyes in there. Are you able to let us know what are people doing on the ground? So, you know, you may not know what they're doing in those particular areas because of all the reasons that you've already listed up, but what do we see people doing? We know during Hurricane Katrina that folks came together to provide where the government and other big nonprofits were unable to go. What do you see people doing on the ground? So. Um, one of the things, one of the good things that happened uh, after Hurricane Katrina was that stronger networks and relationships, community to community, person to person, were formed, and those bonds have lasted through these 16 years. And so we see people mobilizing on that level of response. Um, it's, it's, you even see it in in small ways where people who have solar power at their homes are able to help out. Uh, neighbors and people in the community by, you know, charging their cell phones, getting news, sending out uh, email communications, warming food. Um, and so that, that, that uh, response around sharing and, and working together to connect is, is happening. Um, and uh, we also see it in terms of just how we have set up over these years after Katrina, tremendous text message groups where you can keep uh, in touch with folks, find out if people need something on the text message, and be able to get support uh, uh, out. And so that's happening as well. And I was going to ask you about that, lessons from Katrina that you see going into action right now. And you've talked some about that in terms of the people on the ground and what folks have been doing community by community, neighborhood by neighborhood. 
does it seem that there's some lessons that have been learned that are helping in light of COVID-19 and in light of what's happening with the pandemic, um, the Delta variants, et cetera, because we know that Louisiana was hit hard by the pandemic. And you referenced that earlier in terms of hospitals. We know that hospitals were put in jeopardy during Hurricane Katrina. Whole hospitals had to be evacuated. Any learnings that you see happening there? Well, I think, you know, um, as that there probably will be a COVID spike after this. Um, I, I don't see a, a way around that. I mean, one of the things that is needed to protect against COVID is, are vaccinations. And there's a whole lot of people in the state who are not vac- uh, vaccinated. I mean, New Orleans has an appreciable majority of residents who are. But uh, surrounding areas are not, that's not the case. In addition, you really need masks, right? And social distancing. And it, if you can't come, if food is a problem, if people aren't eating in three days, they certainly don't have the wherewithal to have the masks and all of that. And and just being able to respond. So I, I do think that chances are we're going to see a COVID spike at, at um, following this disaster. Um and that is going to, you know, set back, I think, in more ways than one, a lot of recovery for families. And the longer the situation lasts, where the electricity is out, the more it puts people in a desperate situation and uh, where they're not only just exposed to COVID, but their their lives are really hanging in the balance. Thank you for bringing up the desperation and sort of how people are going to be making it through. I mean, we're hearing that for some folks, they may not get electricity for three weeks. Some people are being told 30 days. I have a couple of friends that um, live in Louisiana outside of New Orleans, and they're telling me, look, we're being told 30 days, which makes me think about food and makes me think about the images during Hurricane Katrina of people going to stores and and taking food so that they can feed their families and feed their communities, and the law enforcement response that included people literally being murdered by police uh, during that really terrible time um, around Katrina. What are you seeing in terms of law enforcement, and do you see or, or that that type of crackdown in terms of law enforcement will be happening this time around? I don't anticipate that that, that will uh, be the case, particularly in the city of New Orleans. Um, but uh, it's something that that really, you know, you have to be vigilant about because it is endemic in the in the culture of policing in this country. And, and we all know that, um, it, you know, in so many ways, it's something as as basic as as solar rooftop panels or community solar project with neighborhood grids could have really saved the day here. I mean, we could all be back home if we had more of those options and and not a situation where one company could use its its, you know, political uh domination to get elected officials on the Louisiana Public Service Commission and the New Orleans City Council to basically follow along its agenda that, that you know, brushes those kinds of options to the side. And so just kind of 
you know, uh, metastasizing from that, that those moments in time when solar options and renewable energy and uh, energy efficiency options were being shot down one time after another in these, you know, meeting rooms and, and hearings uh, uh, before the Public Service Commission, New Orleans City Council, by Entergy uh, companies. We, you can see all of these very, you know, serious scenarios, and they are more than scenarios, they're real-life experiences beginning to unfold. Um, and so it's my hope that, you know, with this Biden-Harris administration, the focus around the Justice 40 initiative and understanding uh, the ways in which communities are uh, – it should be, you know, the, the center of infrastructure planning versus developers or, or, or you know, uh, contractors and, and the like – that you know we we can marshal those forces here in the Gulf region to really demonstrate what an equitable rebuilding should look like, and that 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 is founded on an energy plan and action that uh, really values solar renewable uh, sources of energy and making that putting that in the hands to the benefit of the people who need it the most. Thank you so very much, Monique. We appreciate you getting us up to speed and also giving us a vision of what needs to happen in order for us to better handle these situations in the future. How do folks reach you or follow you and your work? Um, we have a, a, a Twitter. It's at, at DSCEJ. That stands for Deep South Center for Environmental Justice. So at DSCEJ is our Twitter handle. They can find us online on our website at DSCEJ.org. If they want to follow up with me, they can reach me on email at MoniqueH at DSCEJ.org. Thank you again. Please be safe out there and looking forward to speaking with you in the future. Thank you so much. Thank you for this opportunity, Nana. Thank you.